Well, Providence Community Church, you've come to uh, you've come to hold a special place in my heart. Even though the last time I was here, obviously it left no impression on you whatsoever. <clears throat> um, but for a number of reasons, um, one is because uh, it's because of you that I have become personally involved with a group of remarkable men, gospel servants, who preach Christ and serve the saints in South Asia. Um, I was part of the second teaching team that traveled to Dubai a couple years ago, and uh, the relationship that was started with those pastors, I, I count as an incredible honor and privilege, and it's on account of that relationship that... Um, the people of Emmaus Road Church of Sioux Falls have had the privilege and the pleasure of partnering with you uh, in this Christmas Goats and Coats outreach. And um, for being the catalyst of that and in, in, into that meaningful relationship and ministry partnership, I just want to say thank you to you folks. Uh, that is profoundly meaningful to us, and we make a connection, obviously, with you because of that. Second... Your senior pastor, Chris Oswald, has um, in the last couple years opened a window for me into his heart. That is, we've become friends. And I, I trust that that would encourage you. Pastors desperately need safe people around them with whom they can disclose their various manifestations of soul thirst and, and it's because of the growing affection in my heart towards Chris, there is an uh, increasing affection in my heart towards the people that he loves and serves, namely all of you. And uh, it's because of that that I pray uh, that Providence Community Church, um, that the joy of the gospel would satisfy you and overflow from you for the spiritual blessing of your city. I just feel that connection with Chris and therefore with you. And then thirdly, um, since the last time I was here, which was three and a half years ago, um, I know that you've walked through a painful chapter in the, the life of this church. And, and, and though I see um, immediately and I hear immediately and sense immediately evidence that the Lord has sustained you, more than sustained you, he strengthened you, and in great measure healed you. Uh, the heartaches that, that you've experienced, probably both individually and corporately as a spiritual community, have, have, have brought many of us to our knees before our Heavenly Father on your behalf. And uh, it's important to us for you to know that you have brothers and sisters that care for you and pray for you as a spiritual community. And uh, as an expression of that spirit-inspired, spirit-empowered affection, I, I believe that your Heavenly Father would have you give attention now to his word to you in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> so if you'd turn there, your Bibles or your, your electronic devices, or I guess it'll be projected as well. I want to invite you to follow along 
as I read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And may the words of Jesus, our great Savior, uh, give life, strengthen faith, and satisfy our souls in this time we have together. Let's pray. We are profoundly thankful this morning, Father, that um, we can come into your presence, we can have full access into all that you are for your people. And it's because we have an advocate who pleads before your throne. It's not by virtue of our righteousness, but it's by virtue of the perfection and righteousness of another in our place. And uh, so we thank you, God, for our, our Lord Jesus Christ our great Savior, and we're thankful for the words of Jesus that give life. And Lord, you've communicated yourself to us so that we might believe in Jesus. And not just to believe, but to have life in his name. So would you bring this impartation of your your life-giving presence and power and express your rule and your reign and your dominion and lordship are over all things, including our bodies, including our minds and our thoughts, including our souls and spirits, our affections, God, our emotions, our relationships, the, the life that you've given to us, this brief life that you've given to us in this side of eternity. And uh, we welcome you and your ministry here and pray blessing on this gathering. And I would also ask that you would bring blessing upon your servant Chris Oswald as he <clears throat> as he brings your word to bear upon another spiritual community uh, hundreds of miles away in Sioux Falls that uh, we care about. I care about those people and I pray that you'd serve them well today and feed your sheep and nourish their hearts and souls and lives for your glory. We give attention to you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's come to my become my conviction <clears throat> that um, that the things that shape us most the are, are not the things that we read in books. The things that form us most in terms of who we are as individuals are, are not the things that we learn in a classroom or even in a a setting such as this. Perhaps the things that have contributed the most to giving meaning to who we are are not received through formal education. Rather, the things that have contributed the most to who we are and what we are becoming are mainly relational in nature. In other words, I am who I am today and you are 
who you are today because of the experiences that we've had through the years, both positively and negatively in relation to other people. It's also my conviction that the experiences that have the most dramatic impact on shaping our lives are not typically, that is, the highest and the happiest. Rather, they tend to be the lowest and the darkest and the most hurtful and tragic experiences of our lives. Pain is a very powerful and very effective teacher. And for those who are uh, joined to Christ Jesus, suffering is, is God's engraving tool through which he forms us into the likeness of his son. I, I don't believe that it's really pushing reason too far to say then that we are who we are most significantly because of hard things, because of suffering. Now, of course, pain and suffering can shape us and form us in, in one of two directions. They, they can transform us into bitter, angry, resentful, self-pitying victims, or they can direct us into a new measure, a deeper self-awareness and connect us with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit in, in deeper ways than we've ever known before. There's another conviction that has been taking hold of me in the past few years, and it's based on the observation that for those of us who, again, are joined to Jesus, there is a, a remarkably consistent pattern that in the wake of those dark chapters of our lives, it is frequently common to witness and experience a season of richer fruitfulness. In other words, our best and most significant seasons of impact often come after seasons of suffering. And there's a reason for that, I believe, because you see, the, our experience of suffering has a way, if we are trained by it, of connecting us deeper into our relationship with the Lord. And the deeper that we go into relationship with God through Christ Jesus by the work of the Holy Spirit, our lives are characterized by significant internal growth. There's enlargement of our inner being, and thereby we have greater external impact. When our inner lives have been enlarged and excavated, as it were, through the endurance of hard things, and that enlarged place is then filled with the fullness of God, it follows then that more of God in us must display more of God from us. Now, some of you, some of you could be nodding, yes, but some of you might be thinking, what he, has he been smoking already this morning? Um, not so fast with your conclusion. Um, because some of you have lived that. And uh, 
there are others who can testify to the reality of that. Um, but I also believe that this is at the heart of Jesus' teaching, particularly his teaching in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and the beginning of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. The Apostle Matthew starts chapter 5 with the words, seeing the crowds. A lot of people had gotten on the Jesus bandwagon, and understandably so, he had gotten their attention by announcing the news that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is, God is now asserting himself and his active power and his presence and his authority and dominion in a way that that had never been seen before. And so as to authenticate or validate or vindicate that message, if you will, Jesus was making God's active presence and power manifest by healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So he, he announced the presence of the kingdom And then he verified it with the works of the kingdom. And therefore, his fame had spread in great crowds of people, suffering people, people who were sick and people who were in pain and people who were oppressed by demons and people with seizures and people who were paralyzed, broken people. They all wanted a piece of Jesus. And Jesus saw them. He saw the crowds. But he also saw every life. He saw every heart. He saw every story, every individual timeline with each and all of the highest high points and the lowest low points. And he saw every critical event. And he saw every personhood shaping experience. And when they sat, he sat. And when he opened his mouth, the first words that he spoke were words of blessing. Blessed are you. Blessed are you if you're poor in spirit. Blessed are you if you're mourning. Blessed are you if you are meek. Blessed, blessed, blessed are you. And the blessing here in what we know as the Beatitudes, it's it's not a word that communicates prosperity or ease or even and probably especially the elimination of trouble. Jesus is not communicating Hey, everybody, listen up now. Things are, going, things are going good for you now. It's time for you to be awesome. No, no, the, the word for blessing here is about family. That is, it is a word about attachment. The blessing here has to do with a movement of God in a relational way toward his people. So here's Jesus, he's, he's connecting with people, people, people who have the smell of the land, you know, that kind of out-of-doors smell on them, and he's, he's connecting with people who have the smell of the world, I guess you would say, the, 
the world that they live in on them. And it's an earthy, it's a raw, it's a, this is the, the real us kind of a setting. No soap, no deodorant, no Febreze, no sunscreen, you know, with shea butter and coconut, no wine and cheese baskets, no porta potties, no external pretense. Just awe de natural. And, and Jesus opens his mouth and speaks. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Little phrase, in spirit. It, it signifies that this is a concept of the heart. And therefore, Jesus, at least in this context, is not referring to economic impoverishment. The word literally has to do with falling. Falling from one place to another. It has to do with being empty. Blessed are the fallen ones. Blessed are the emptied ones. Blessed are the ones who used to feel self-competent and have been broken and shattered. Blessed are the ones who've had their paradigms rocked, whose lives have been rocked and their, their neat, orderly lives just don't work the way they once worked or the way they thought everything should work. These were arresting words for people who were actually sick, actually hurting, actually broken, fallen, empty. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? On what basis are they blessed? It says, for or because. Blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, they're blessed not because everything's going to get better. They're blessed not because they're going to get fixed. They're blessed because their brokenness opens a way for them to connect with God and his kingship and his presence and his power and his reality in a whole different way than they had been open to before that. A fair inference of this verse would be, you really want to know God? You really want to connect deeply with God, into God. You must have suffered. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Now this is not intended to be some kind of just blanket statement for everybody, anybody who's sad and grieving. Each one of these beatitudes is part of a, a string. It's a, they're part of a chain of related meaning. And so the, the ones who are blessed are the ones who are mourning because they have fallen. The ones who are blessed are the ones who are mourning because they are broken and empty. 
They have fallen and they're broken and they're empty in a way that you, you can't cover it up or pretend like nothing happened. They have to look eyeball to eyeball with the effects and all the collateral damage their experience of brokenness has caused them. So not only are they broken and fallen and empty, it's all gone public. And because it's gone public, there are perceptions or judgments. Friends, this is a this is a cause for a different kind of a grief. It's a different kind of mourning. And this breaking, as well as this mourning, does a work in the one who is broken and grieving on account of it. We, we grieve over how our old system didn't work. It didn't protect us from this. It, it didn't come through for us the way we had expected to it to. We grieve over the, the, the shattered illusion that we had our act together. We, we, we were the object of admiration and esteem. We were perceived with positive regard, and now we groan over the shattered illusion that we were self-sufficient, and we ache over the shattered illusion that we were good Christians and had it all together. And, and all those illusions have been peeled away like, pulling back the curtain and discovering that the great and powerful Oz doesn't have any more ability to work miracles than anybody else. And so, because of that, we mourn. And this kind of mourning is different. It's different than simply feeling bad. Uh, It's different than simply feeling shame or embarrassment. Uh, It's different not mainly because it's somehow worse in degree. It's different mainly because it's more productive. That is, it's a blessed morning. And it's a blessed morning because it does a deeper work. It's a blessed morning because it leads to parakletheites. Comfort. The word literally means calling out, calling out for someone to come alongside, para, and keep us from sinking. It's the word that Peter used when he cries out to Jesus after he tried to walk on water. That is a radically different kind of comfort because it involves a radically different cry. You see, most of us, uh, in the time of mourning over loss, uh, it results in a crying out. I think this is typical, at least it's true for me. It, it results in a crying out for a spiritual consultant. Lord, why? Why did this not work out the way we hoped? Explain this. Could, could you not have accomplished your purpose in a different way? Why? 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 That, that's different, right? That Answers are great. Answers are nice. An explanation, reason, 
An understanding of the purpose is, is certainly helpful, but it's not the same as being caught in free fall and then held by a strong arm. The type of mourning that Jesus calls blessed is the kind that reveals that every last bit of self-sufficiency is it's gone. Because then, when every last bit of self-sufficiency is gone, we become attached. We become connected into the Lord in a, an entirely different way. Now, it's important that we recognize that Jesus is not, um, he's not, he's not suggesting here some prescription for spiritual success or a deeper life or, or some keys to, to follow for a, a more dynamic religious experience. Can you think of anybody, know of anybody that has made brokenness? an intentional part of their five-year personal development plan? Or do you know anybody who decided on being crushed and then achieved being crushed as some strategic act of their own will? This kind of brokenness, this kind of fallenness, this kind of mourning and grief that Jesus is talking about is not a choice. But it is a gift. It's a gift in that this kind of fallenness, this kind of helplessness, reorients us. It's a gift in that it recalibrates us in our relationship to God. And friends, listen, it is powerful in shaping us for deeper impact in the lives of others. My wife and I, we have a, a, a family friend, uh, friends that dear to us from the very earliest years of our marriage. And um, our families used to, we used to live together in the same house. They were upstairs, we were downstairs. Our kids played together and when they were in those kindergarten, first grade years of innocence. Um, and we had not seen these friends for many years. And uh, so we, we missed out on doing life together through the more challenging adolescent years, the, um, the more daunting teenage years, um, and even really the complicated college-age years. And so by the time we reconnected, um, both of our families had walked through our respective share of heartaches and disappointments and shattered dreams. And uh, when we made this reconnection, our friend made this very insightful, tender-hearted, and sage-like observation. When you turn middle-aged, you're not so glib. Those of you that are on the, the downslope of life, I'm sure you know exactly what that means. We are not so 
glib. We're definitely not as glib as we once were during those years when you you could always count on two plus two equal equaling four. <laughs> there comes a point where, hmm, hmm, not so much that we're sure about that anymore. But but it's a good thing that we are not as glib as we once were because it means, I think, I hope, that we're safer to be around. And that's because the brokenness of Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 leads to the mourning of Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, which leads to becoming the kind of people that Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That just must have rocked the suffering people sitting on that mountainside, right? I mean, this is a... Their paradigm could not have been that much different than ours, could it? I mean, just give us a... Give us a stick bigger. Give us a stick bigger than the Roman stick, and we'll see who owns the world. What's the pattern in the world you live in? And work in? Who, who has the most power? Who has the most impact? Who wields the most influence? Is it the one with the most competence? Is it the one with the, the most high powered network? Uh, maybe it's the ones who are young, scrappy, and hungry. Or maybe it's the one with the strongest personality. Jesus says that the ones who will inherit the earth own it are those who are the meek. The ones who will wield the most influence are the meek. Now, meek does not mean some, you know, limp-wristed, soft-talking, milk-toast pansy, try to come off as a humble poser. The meek in this case. They're the ones with bloodstains on them, as it were. They're the ones that walk through this brokenness and this mourning. The meek one is the one who ultimately has the least to lose. There's a, there's a leader I know, um, someone who people would not normally associate with brokenness or emptiness. He leads a movement. Um, but those who know him best know the depths of personal suffering he has endured. And I, I heard him speak um, not that long ago to a crowd of thousands where he testified publicly and yet carefully and appropriately, but transparently, and vulnerably to his own weakness. And as he communicated his own journey through painful things, things that had broken him, you, you could just visibly see thousands of people just, they're just all 
leaning in, leaning forward, just hanging on words. They wanted to hear words, authoritative words that were the expression of a heart shaped by God's comfort, comfort that had reached into a grieving soul, a soul made tender in the crucible of unplanned suffering. People want to hear from those who have suffered. Those who have suffered have something to say. And it is the meek who are blessed with the whole earth as their inheritance. When they tell their story, everybody listens. So Providence Community Church, you have existed now for what? 17 years? Something like that? And what a story God has written. Providence Community Church and her people. My friends, you are God's workmanship. You are God's poema. That's the word. It's where we get the word poem. You are God's epic poem. And though your story, individually, collectively, it's unfolding now in time and history, God, you know this, God is not writing it as it goes along. God has crafted this epic poem in advance with every loss and every pain and every sorrow is essential in how God is shaping you and forming you as a community for his gospel purpose. I mean, just look at what God is producing in you and through you. So hear Jesus' words to you again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. A meek congregation is a safe place of healing impact for the broken, for the failures, for those who don't have a prayer, except please catch me or I am gone. As well as for Christians who sin and are run ragged, trying to keep their religious image intact. And for unbelievers who need a legitimate exhibit of what hope really looks like. I would never wish, I would never pray for your brokenness or for mine. Nor could I ever call you somehow or invite you to mourning or authentic meekness. Only God can write those blessings into the story of our lives. But I can invite you to express to the Lord your trust in, your desire for, your esteem of every way that he would see fit to make his soul-redeeming love manifest in you and through you 
both individually and corporately for the sake of his glory and the blessing of this city. Let's pray.